Hey everybody, it's Jake Wiskirchen back with you on the Noggin Notes podcast, the world's only podcast that aims to enrich and educate your noggin on matters of mental wellness, psychological functioning, spirituality, and emotional regulation. This week's episode is number 34, and we're interviewing Matt Dutcher and Lauren Panksa, two students at the University of Nevada, Reno, who have been there a number of years and have a great deal of perspective to share. What occurred to me recently was that we seem to be having this spike in frequency, intensity, duration, and volume of alcohol and drug consumption along with anxiety. And I wanted to pick the brains of two of Nevada's finest to find out what was going on on our college campus. And it seems to be permeating college campuses nationwide and perhaps around the world. I'm only privy to what's going on in America, but it seems to be uh, pervading everywhere based on some perspectives that we've gotten from some other people. So this is the conversation that we had. It's a conversation about the climate of college campuses, and the psychological function of their students. So I hope you enjoy it. It's almost an hour long or more than an hour long, so I'm just going to shut up now and let you listen and kick back and absorb the information that's disseminated. If you have any questions or comments for us, please email us at info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org, and we'll incorporate those into a future episode of Listener Mail. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy this chat. So we're here, and we're talking on the Noggin Notes podcast with Matt Dutcher and Lauren Penksa. And uh, you guys are both students at the University of Nevada. First of all, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. No thank problem. you. Lauren, you're, you're an employee of Zephyr Wellness, so um, it wasn't as hard for you to carve time out of your schedule, because uh, working for me, you just do what I say. So <laughs> I said, make it happen at 8 o'clock. Yes, <laughs> yes, you were. Uh, but Matt, thanks for, for coming. You've got a busy schedule. You're doing a million things, and... Um, it was more difficult for you because you don't just do what I tell you. Um, <laughs> you do it because you're nice. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, tell, introduce yourselves a little bit. Let's, let's talk. This is going to be a little bit longer podcast than the, the usual you know, 12 to 15 minutes because we're going to take a deep dive into what's going on on college campuses now as you guys are seeing it as opposed to when I went, went there, which was, in my mind, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago, probably because I never left and I have <laughs> three degrees. Um, but, uh, it was 20 years ago and I think that's a very short period of time to, for me to see what's happened. So introduce yourselves and, uh, we'll, we'll start with Matt. He's the, he's the real guest here. Yeah. So I'm a junior majoring in human development and family studies with a minor in women's studies. Um, originally I came to college with the interest of going into economics, but then I realized that that really wasn't for me at all. And then I switched over to the College of Education and planned on majoring in secondary education with an emphasis on English. And then I met Jake Wiskirchen through our fraternity. And then um, he came out to our fraternity and would do what he called psych talks and basically walk through a lot of the stuff that he talks about on Noggin Notes. Um, After meeting each other, he came to me and talked to me about, asked if I was interested in psychology or anything within that realm, and that's something I always have been interested in, and ever since then he's been my mentor and kind of introduced me to the field. I appreciate you saying that. I didn't realize I was mentoring you, but Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember when that happened, why I pulled you aside? Yeah, we were doing, we were doing Uh role-playing. I think it was like a a role-play of a clinical therapy session. Yeah, let me jump in real quick. So what I did for for the fraternity, which is Sigma Phi Epsilon Sigup, for those of you who know, um, 
I would go do these weekly psychological education seminars uh, with the undergraduates at the house. And um, throughout the 10 or 12 weeks that we did that, though, over the course of the semester, it would culminate in a in a role play, like you said. Mm-hmm. So we pull one or two guys, uh, or I'm sorry, two or three guys at a time, and one would be the quote-unquote counselor, and they would implement skills. And this is all under the auspices of improving communication and learning to validate and um, meet people where they are rather than just having content level conversations i wanted you guys to become better communicators and so you did this and yeah and i i don't know it's just something that i've always done naturally i don't know if it was the way i was raised or the way i came to be because i was always interested in psychology and human development but just doing it i i don't even i can't even put it into words but jake approached me afterwards you and killed said it that i had a knack for it and you killed asked it you were was, natural yeah yeah. Asked if I was interested in it, and I, I have been my whole life. So You were natural, but you also had intentionality, which is my favorite word in this field. Uh, you knew why you were doing what you were doing and why you were asking of your partner uh, what you were asking. and uh, just It blew me away. And, and, and I think everybody in the room when you did that was like, whoa, <laughs> what just happened? It was like we witnessed an actual counseling session. It was pretty cool. So, yeah, I uh, put on my recruitment hat and said, hey, you should get into our field. And uh, now you are. Yeah. But you've also done some leadership on campus. You, you've uh, been president of the fraternity. I don't know what you're doing now, but I think you're in student government too, right? Yeah. So I, this is I'm actually serving my third term on our chapter's executive board. So I'm now chaplain, which is just the head of the standards board, or is just like any judicial or standards committee. And then I'm also a programmer in the Associated Students of the University of Nevada. That means you put on events. Yeah, 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 event okay. programmer. So all, all the events, or a majority of the events that we put on, we have like a. $400,000 budget, and we put on X amount of events per year. When I was there, it was $85,000, and I was yeah. very proud of that. <laughs> I think the entire budget for the entire Associated Students was half a million, so you have half a million just to program with. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty sweet. Uh, so the point is, you have uh, your finger on the pulse of campus, by and large, and you've been there for a number of years. Fourth year? This is my third, third. third year. Okay. Yeah, so I'm okay. expecting to graduate next year. Just feels like I've known you forever. Yeah. Three years is a long time, though, I guess. Mm. Um, so you're going to bring some, some perspective and Lauren is sort of almost graduated. Yeah, I'm right about there. Um, so I'm finishing up right now my degree in human development, family studies with an emphasis in psychology. Um, I knew kind of from a young age, I always wanted to be involved in making impact on kids' lives. Um, children have always been my passion from a young age. Um, when I started this whole journey at 18, I went in wanting to be a kindergarten, first or second grade teacher, um, and HDFS was my minor. Um, after about a year and a half of doing that, I realized I wanted to go deeper in kids' lives and have more of an impact. Um, really loved a lot of uh, my HDFS professors, did a lot of kind of reflecting and soul searching, and was like, you know what, I think I could go a different route and be more successful there. So I ended up switching my major full-time to HDFS, um, got an internship at Zephyr Wellness last January, um, was involved in different Head Start programs here, got to do some shadowing and sessions, met with Jake, got to hang out with a lot of the clinicians here, and was like, I think this is more so my calling and what I want to do the rest of my life. So, And we're glad to have you, and you just won an award. Yeah, I was just um, Rookie of the Year for 2017 nice. at Zephyr Wellness, so That's it was pretty true. awesome. We just had the Employee of the Year on uh, a week ago, Amanda Green, talking about play therapy. Nice. Yeah. Is that what you're looking to go into? Is it more of 
clinical yeah. therapy around children or older adolescents? Yeah, um, ideally, I love play therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyone under the age of like 12 is my thing. Nice. Um, once they start getting into middle school, I freeze up and I'm like, because <laughs> <laughs> I think we, my awkward we train, that, we train that <laughs> right? out of you. It's okay. yeah, that, uh, there's something called countertransference yeah. that we bring in. So, yeah, I'm really looking into um, helping younger kids play therapy. So, Awesome. Um, I, I want to kick this off, and thanks for the introductions. So what we've noticed in the conversations among the three of us, uh, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes you know, all at the same time, is that on the, at least the University of Nevada college campus, which is where you guys went to school and where I went to school, we've noticed uh, a, a, a sharp spike in not only the acuity, but the prevalence of what the broader medical community would call mental illness. Now, that has a stigmatized label upon it, and, and I don't want to make it stigmatized. It would be this. It would be no, no different than if we were saying, a whole bunch of people are falling down, breaking their arms. Well, that's just a thing, and we notice it. We don't judge it. We may want to figure out why, you know, maybe because the, the sidewalks are uneven or something. But here, why are, why are these, these students suffering so much anxiety, and why is it so high? Because in my recollection, when I look back on my college years, we had some people who struggled. They struggled with anxiety. They struggled with depression. We can almost pinpoint exactly why. Uh, there was a big test upcoming. They had family pressures. There was financial strain. Or, uh, m- you know, mom suddenly died in a car accident. I was with one of, uh, one of, my, uh, one of my close friends. Uh, you could pinpoint why they were struggling uh, psychologically. These days, it just seems to be rampant. And, and what you two have both told me is that the substance abuse has spiked, and that has become rampant. And and I, through my clinical eyes, I see that as a coping skill. Uh, it's a very poor one, but this is how people cope with stuff. They they drink to avoid, or they they use drugs to avoid, or you know, create an artificial reality so that they don't have to face their own reality. And anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows that I come from this come at this from an emotional functioning perspective. If you can't tolerate the distress, you're going to bail yourself out of it. And those are excellent ways to do it. Again, not healthy, but they they work. So I want to hear from you guys what your perspectives are, and we can just have a conversation about this rather than an interview. Uh, and I think that would probably benefit the audience a little bit more. Start anywhere. Tell me what you're seeing, because I have my own opinions, but people hear me enough on this thing. They don't need to hear me anymore. I think just right off the bat, the first thing that comes to mind talking about how it's possibly changed since you were in college is, I don't know if you, you guys have heard of Arnett's theory of emerging adulthood, but it's like this new stage of human development. Um, it's, you know, the, the jury's still out on whether or not it is uh, a upper, upper middle class or middle class thing, and it doesn't really pertain to the lower class because a lot of it has, is based around college mm. and students that go to college. So you get, you get a little bit of this autonomy, but at the same time, you're still under, like me personally, I'm still financially dependent on my parents. So right. I have this autonomy, but at the same time, I'm not an adult. So I'm in this weird lull. And that it's it's this new stage of development, and it's not it wasn't as it, it actually the paper that he wrote actually came out I think it was around two thousand. Spell Arnett, please. Arnett, A R N E T T. That's what I thought. Yeah, okay. emerging adulthood. So that was that was back in two thousand, but I can only imagine that it's become more prevalent now. More people are going to college, so if you just look at the economics of it, the, a college like a simple bachelor's degree is going to be less and less. As the more people that go to college, less it's not going to be valuable. You mean valuable? Yeah, it's, it's watered down. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So now it's. I think the, there's more pressure on it 
there's more pressure on you as a college student just in that sense alone is that college is less valuable and that's not to say just a regular undergraduate degree mm-hmm. is less valuable now and I think that that definitely takes a toll on me myself personally because I'm looking to the future and I'm saying okay well now I'm gonna have to go to graduate school still yeah, yeah, yeah. to be able and naturally just to enter this field you would have to go into graduate school but but you're pointing to the metrics, and there are metrics that say that a college degree is not as valuable even in do- regular old U.S. dollars as it was uh, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what we've seen is an outpacing of not only the debt accumulation to achieve that degree mm-hmm. relevant, uh, relative to the dollars you would make on the back end to pay off that debt, but also we're not seeing the jobs actually pay more for the mm-hmm. same degree. So I got a journalism degree in, in 2001. And that same journalism degree today pays almost exactly the same if mm-hmm. I were to go out and write for a newspaper or a TV station or whatever. So 20 years is a very long time with a whole bunch of inflation packed behind it to not ha- not see any gain in the value. Mm-hmm. And yes, to your point, graduate degree is necessary to get into this field just by the way our licensing standards are. Mm-hmm. However, I can see where there would be this treadmill of, of pressure to continually try to strive to uh, pay off things and of course that's that's financial mm-hmm. and then to your point about the the weird purgatory in which you live uh, there's a there's a, a a technique in our field called the rubber fence that we sometimes introduce to clients when they're trying to connect with a family or, or a clinician is trying to connect with a family where if you can picture uh, your your thumb and your first three fingers in a in almost a square and put a rubber band around that you as the outsider are trying to get in to the inside and you can only get so far because there's still that that rubber fence in between Mm -hmm. and what it sounds like you're experiencing is there's there's a rubber fence around you and in between you and adulthood Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're an adult legally uh Mm -hmm. but you're financially dependent upon uh your parents or you're dependent upon the institution for your degree and so there isn't that full autonomy it's almost a false representation of autonomy Mm -hmm. which will add more stress because you're trying to figure out who you are as an individual Mm -hmm. and how can you do that with so many strings attached and where that comes in too with the coping, with the coping mechanisms, how we talked about substance abuse as a coping mm-hmm. mechanism, you do have that autonomy to a degree. But what that autonomy allows you to do is to go Let's out go and drink, drink. Yep. is to go use drugs, right. is to stay out, stay up as however late you want, is to sleep in late. So that's where that autonomy comes into play too. And not to, I see Nora, Lauren nodding her head and wanting to jump in. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But I wanted no, to say that. Uh, before we go too far off the rails and saying that all drug and alcohol are the only coping skills we have, some people, you're a very fit individual. You've played sports your whole life. Mm-hmm. I know you're a hockey player by nature. But um, sometimes what kid, kids, <laughs> students will do when they get into college is start working out a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's actually a, a disorder called orthorexia, which is when you uh, try too hard to go to the gym, eat very lean, and you can end up making yourself sick and the body will end up consuming itself because you you've neglected to have a balance and that's really what we're talking about is a balance and you know what are you what are you escaping to in the gym that you need to be there seven days a week two hours a day yeah matt who is a producer of uh, music doesn't know that opening his lid into the microphone is going to be picked up. <laughs> it's a free podcast to get what you pay for what are you gonna say um i think one of the biggest things that um why people feel so much pressure in college right now is it starts at such a young age now. I remember being in elementary school when I got to like fifth grade, UNLV, because I grew up in Las Vegas, came, (laughs) I know, right? But they came and spoke to my class like, hey, in middle school, start making these decisions on Mm. what you want to do with your life. You have electives now, you want to start figuring this Mm. out. 
then middle school happened and those same talks happen. Then high school comes and you're like, okay, I'm about to be 18. I have to figure out the job I want to do. I have to figure out what school I want to go to. I have to figure out how I'm going to pay to get to that school, this, this, and that. And then you get to college and you go, it's here. I've been told this since I was 10 years old. Now I'm 18 and I'm here. I can't mess up. If I get a bad grade, that's not going to get me into grad school. I have to retake the class. That's more money. That sets me back. Now I can't graduate in four years. Now I have to reapply for financial aid or ask my parents or work extra jobs. And so I think that pressure now is starting at such a young age. You carry that weight with you from when you're, let's say, 10 years old through when you're 23, you're supposed to have your job figured out, your life figured Mm -hmm. out. But if you haven't met that, what society is set for you, you start freaking out. Am I doing something wrong? Where can I, I need to reevaluate what, what can I do to change this? So I think that that societal pressure starting at a young age is a big weight to carry going into something that's already a stressful situation. You are an emerging adult. You have these new responsibilities. You're on your own for your first time. Carrying that weight along with that is a lot. I think that it, we had those pressures too when I was younger, but it wasn't, we didn't have dual credit classes. Yeah. When you were talking, I, I just realized we didn't, there was, that wasn't an option for me. We had AP courses that you could take that would give you some college credits somewhere in this mythological world out, you mm. know, after I graduated high school. But now we actually have kids graduating high school with sophomore level credits. Yeah. And that's, uh, I can, I can totally see where that, that pressure would come in. And that makes, that makes a lot of sense to my ears. I, I had not considered that. Thank you for sharing that. I hadn't actually heard of that until I came to college, that kind of program, because I just, um, I was watching the senator debates the other day for ASUN, and one of the senators... Associated Students of the University of Nevada, that's the government that runs the student campus. Yep. So they, uh, one of the candidates had an associate's degree and was only 18. Yeah. She came into college with an associate's degree, and I'm thinking back to my, my high school experience, and... For me, high school was a little bit easier, so it was not really like even a thought I was going to take AP courses, and I ended up coming into college with 15 credits already, which really helped me out, Mm -hmm. like helped me out immensely because now I'm ahead of the curve and I'm able to relax on my credits and take a little bit more extracurricular extracurricular priority. But without that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that have developed me into the person that I am, like joining a fraternity, Correct. like taking on those leadership roles in a fraternity, uh, joining student government. Um, so I don't know. I feel like it's all it's all very lucrative. If you, in the the choices you make in high school do affect you in college, they can potentially mm-hmm. affect yeah. your your development throughout college. And however. However you choose to go in high school when it should be necessarily a little bit more relaxed, I do I do agree. The standardized testing, all that stuff, AP courses, those uh, like an associate's degree program, it, it's very stressful. And if but if you don't hop on top of it, you'll catch yourself. I, I feel like if I were I think that if I had a nice catch, oh yeah, boy. I think that if I if I weren't to have taken those AP courses, I would have had to take 15 credits each semester and that would have made all my other choices uh, a lot different because I may not have had the time necessarily to do all that. Yeah, let me put an asterisk on that 15 credits a semester because my other graduate degree is in college administration. So Mm -hmm. um, that's to graduate quote unquote on time. Uh, 120 credits uh, program, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That doesn't work if you're an engineer because engineering is like usually 128 credits. Mm -hmm. So then you're talking about weaving in summer school. Now, where does this four-year thing come from? Anybody know? Why four no. years? I don't. 
university accreditation standards. They want to see that you're graduating yeah. people in a certain period of time so that you're not just spiraling people in the, in the uh, throes of, of higher education. Community colleges don't have that pressure. They, you can drop in and drop out of a community college, take a few courses here or there. They're not tracking um, completion as, as rigidly as a four-year institution. So if we start to string people out to five, five and a half years, what that does is it impacts your overall, quote, we'll, we'll just use a credit rating score. It's, there's national rankings and all sorts of stuff, but we can all understand a credit rating score. If you, if you go into debt, your credit rating drops. If you pay off all your bills on time, your credit rating goes up. Similarly with universities, they get poorer reviews based on, and this is a really rough analogy, but they get poorer reviews based on how often, how frequently their, their students graduate. So if you're graduating in four years, boom, 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 getting them through. There's a very regimented program. Uh, the Ivy League schools, for example, are really good at this. Um, they get their, their rating goes up. Uh, state schools, land-grant institutions like the University of Nevada, for example, uh, which has a very, very high acceptance rate, and with a very, very high acceptance rate, you're not going to get out people who on, on time typically because they're having to work two jobs or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're going at, a, at an easier pace. Rating drops. So how do you fight that? Well, you, you go for Carnegie-level uh, accreditation and, and you know, go for a higher research uh, certification, that kind of thing, to, to kind of combat the undergraduate population not maybe moving through so quickly. So the pressure is actually coming from the institution itself to get out in four years. And, but if you have a student body that says, I don't need to get out in four years. I'm going to take my time and do nine credits mm. a semester. That looks very bad to the institution if it, all of its 15,000 undergraduate students are doing that and taking that attitude and getting out in five, five and a half. I took five and a half, but it was only because my course sequences mm. paced that way, um, six years even. So that's why the pressure comes in. I would advocate for a bigger, another, a macro perspective of saying, let's retain our, our children's innocence in elementary, middle, and high school. Let them just take courses that they want to take. The hard-charging ones, yeah, let's load them up. Let's get them in mm. these programs. But let's not capitulate to the institutions, the higher ed institutions that are saying, everyone must go to college. Why? Because they make more money off of it. And yes, they're supposed to be nonprofit, but we all know that how do you fund your education? Loans. Mm. Loans fund the government off of the interest rate that you pay and the more money the university makes the more buildings they can build and we're seeing this arms race exploding at the university of nevada too right so more kids into college means more money for the institution means they compete on a on a national scale to say look how shiny we are look how many people we have look how many programs we've got Uh, so it's so it's all driven by money but if we pull out and take a macro perspective and say do what you want to do well Mm. it threatens the universities Mm. because all of a sudden they, they they see their money possibly shrinking so we want to keep this in, in perspective, and if I could wave a magic wand over the student body, it would be to say, just relax. Mm-hmm. Go, get your insti- go get your education and be there at that institution as long as you need to get educated. Mm-hmm. Because you turn around and 20 years later, I'm very far from journalism. I use it all the time in, when I write notes and so forth. But I'm not using that degree, mm-hmm. quote unquote. I'm, I've got two other degrees, and I'm only using one of them. So you can change your mind, you can alter your course, and if that takes a little pressure off of the, the student body so that they're not having to you know, overdose on drugs and alcohol or you know, kill themselves working out as a, as a means of distraction from the, the stress of daily life, then, then that would be my suggestion. I'm interested, though, to hear what you guys are seeing from your peers. And you, you're both healthy, well-functioning individuals. We've had lots of conversations, and you've gone through the normal struggles of any you know, college student, I'd say. But there aren't those who are that healthy. Speak a little bit to that. I think, um, speaking on, like, University of Nevada, Reno, um, 
It's got this party school vibe. Does it now? That's what it shifted into, and I've seen that kind of shift in this past, like, four years that... Now, when you're having a really stressful week, you're like, at least I have A, B, and C to go do this weekend. It's not, hey, let's go up to Tahoe. Hey, let's go do this. Let's go to the movies. Let's go on a hike. It's more so, what are we doing Friday night when our, all of our tests are over? What are we well, doing it's like here? An, it's like you need to escape to something. Yeah. And you've seen that change just in four years? Yeah, I've wow. definitely seen a shift in that. And there's always the people that are kind of on the fence, but it's like, where do you... I still want to fit in. There's still that mentality. And I've seen people really struggle with, do I stick with what is healthy and what I value, or do I go with what everyone else seems to be doing? And that seems to be working for them because they seem happy, quote-unquote. And so I think that there's been a big shift um, with that kind of stuff that I've seen take place at the university of is where do my values go what can I do to help cope with a stressful week? A lot of tests, that kind of stuff. See, my, just to bounce that off a, a little bit, um, when when I was in school, uh, the the Thursday night beer pong and the you know the the Thursday night happy hour, or whatever it is, five dollar cover, all you can drink from nine to eleven or whatever at the local club was fun. It wasn't seen as an escape necessarily, but you, the way you're contextualizing this is is it's more of a like I need to go do this thing as opposed to we just did it because it was fun. I think it's like the vocabulary and like talk with how it's used on campus and like phrasing is that I've had five tests this week. I need to go black out. Who's with me? Really? You can't see this on the microphone as I just fumble my um, acoustic stuff here. Scratch, scratch. But uh, Matt just jerked a thumb toward Lowe and said he's nodding and smiling. And I don't mean to smile about this because it's not really serious. But this is this is what's going on. That, that's reality now. Wow. Um, it's shifted to these unhealthy coping techniques, and as so many people are on mm-hmm. board, that it's kind of like, what do you do to stop this? This isn't just a friend group problem. This is a campus wide problem now because this is yeah. the culture. Yeah, cool. I can't I can't speak to anything else but Greek life, just because that's a majority of my sphere. The people yeah. that I know are involved in Greek life. So, but it's not just my fraternity. I hang out with a lot of different fraternities and. Uh, it's it's always like yeah let's go black out and it's like it's so that weird phrase. it's yeah. so weird because you hear it and you're like oh he's gonna go drink but if you exit yourself from that like environment and you just think about it let's go black out like you want to go extreme. get that's, blacked out yeah. you're that flirting is with death yes and that's what's yes. normal but it, it's very normal yeah. we, we yeah. i mean just to weigh in a little bit on perspective blackout in my ears in my vernacular was like Ooh, you went way over mm, and you yeah. probably shouldn't drink for the next six months. If anybody blacked out, like and to, to the audience, the, the clinical term for blacking out is failing to remember large sections of the evening or <laughs> yeah. the, the, the period when you drink it could be a tailgate or in the middle of the day. But if, if you black out because you can't remember from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. when kickoff started, that's a blackout. And that's really unhealthy because it means your alcohol level was so high that your body ceased to function. Your brain ceased to retain memory because it was trying so hard to process the, the toxins so that's and now it's it's common parlance yeah, yeah oh it's just it's natural like in and, and like i said you hear it all the time and you're like oh it's, it's normalized it's so normalized wow. and it takes it takes sitting here talking to you just and like hearing it there's every once in a while you hear someone you say it or someone else will hear someone say it and they, they'll look at them and they'll be like did you just say you're gonna go black out like do you mean black out drunk 
And they'll be like, yeah. And then they're like, what? So they're, they're aiming to get so drunk that they forget. Or yeah. they're saying they are. Or they're saying, or they're yeah. saying but that. But a lot of the times, that's how it ends up. But like, either way, I, I mean, I could say, oh, yo, I'm going to go kill myself after failing that test. That's not appropriate language, and it shouldn't ever be allowed no. in, in common dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, I'm not actually going to go commit suicide. But, but if I start talking like that, it's a very dreary existence in which I'm mm-hmm. dwelling if I'm saying I want to go kill myself, that's that's so extreme, and we try to we try to curb extreme language in this profession mm-hmm. because it creates a binary reality. And when you're stuck in between two extremes, it seems like there's no middle ground, yeah. and then of course you're going to have anxiety. So it's, it's almost a stacking effect. Yeah. I'm curious though. I've I've had five tests, and went, ah, that's not true. That's a little extreme. I've had four or three tests in a day, and yeah, it's stressful, but that doesn't seem like that part's changed. What what's changed? Why is, it, why is the perception different? I think, like, speaking on, I was in a sorority and I was involved, too. It was that you had four tests in one day. You might have two papers. You have 15 credits. I was working 40 hours a week, and I had sorority meetings. And maybe it was Greek week, so there was events every single night. Mm, right. So now my day, my week went from just looking at four tests and two papers to when am I going to sleep? How am I going to balance this? How am I going to complete this? Now the week is finally over. I've slept two hours a night. Heck yeah, I'm going to go party with my friends. Which that kind of stuff. Take, you've only slept two because hours a night. you've only slept two hours a week. But at that point, you're like, I just need a break. But I want to push back on that a little bit, and I don't want to sound like you know old man Wiscursion here. You know, get off my lawn. <laughs> back in my day, but back in my day, we did the same stuff, but we didn't respond the way that you guys. It sounds like you're responding. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't go. You know, throw throw a raging party at the end of the week. Yes, they existed, but it w- but the intentionality seems different. Back then, it was hey celebration of the end of the week. Um, now it's, now it's now it's we made it through the end. Yeah, of the week. it's like I a think survival. it's all the phrasing. That's so weird. It's what? not a celebration. It's we made it. We haven't touched on social media, and I want to take a quick break um, so that the audience can have a, a time to pause too. Um, I want to talk about social media and whether or not you think that comes into play. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Healthcare is a phrase that gets tossed around a lot these days. From politicians in Washington to your physician right here in town, everyone seems to have a different conception of what it means. At Zephyr Wellness, it means recognizing individuals as human beings and meeting them where they are. It also means helping people identify and solve their problems rather than merely coping with their symptoms. The team at Zephyr believes that good mental health care deals with the whole person and not just outward behaviors. Hundreds of people across all demographics have already discovered Zephyr's compassionate and talented clinical team. If you're struggling with family issues, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, or are just simply not where you want to be in life, call Zephyr Wellness at 775-525-1616 to schedule an appointment or visit the website at www.zephyrwellness.org. Zephyr Wellness has offices in Reno and Silver Springs and proudly takes most insurance plans. Again, that's 775-525-1616 or ZephyrWellness.org. All right, we're back. And uh, talking to Matt Dutcher and Lauren Penksa about college life and how things have have changed and and why the level of stress, acuity, anxiety, depression uh, has has gone up and why it's so much more pervasive now than it was uh, when I remember it. And just to create some, again, some perspective, I was teaching 
on campus in the fraternity just, uh, what, a year and a half ago. Uh, I haven't done it for a couple of semesters, but uh, before that, I was teaching pretty regularly every semester, and then before that, I was in graduate school, and before that, I was in graduate school again, and I was working on campus, and I was always in touch with the fraternity, so I virtually have never lost touch with campus in the last 20 years, so it's not like this stuff is, you know, catching me completely by surprise, but I thought I had a good grasp of it, but you guys are blowing my mind even more, which is crazy. And we left off wanting to talk about social media because somehow the perspective shifted from, hey, this is college, it's really stressful and it's hard, to, oh, I can't handle it and I need to reach for the bottle. What's up with that? Any thoughts? Is it social media? I mean, is, is this just creating festering, like, you know, everybody's piling on and validating each other's you know, horrible stress, and so it's, yeah, 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 we all are start struggling. And It's definitely it's definitely partially that, so it's cultural, right? Mm-hmm. And it's everybody else around you doing the same thing that, it you know, it makes you want to do it more, and it makes it more normalized for everybody to the point where no one would even question it. Like I said, when, you know, when someone says, let's go black out, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's normal. They mean they want to drink. But when someone questions it, you're like, yeah, that's actually a really extreme uh, phrase, yeah. And it's kind of weird that we say that, but it's, it's cultural, but what is the root of it? And do I think it's social media? I don't think it's social media. Do I think it's media in general? No, I, I, I it plays a part in it. Everything mm-hmm. does play a part in it, but I, I really don't know. That's more of a sociological question that I have not really pondered. I picked social but, media just because we didn't have it mm, when I was in school. Yeah. Um, it didn't emerge until 2005-ish. And that was four years after I graduated. Well, I think it's definitely an easier way to communicate with what's going on on the weekend now instead mm-hmm. of like, hey, what house party are you going to? Or, hey, what mm-hmm. are you going to do here? It's a million posts from all the different bartenders from downtown. Yeah. Oh, hey, right. these are our drink specials. Yeah. They start on Tuesday nights through <laughs> Sunday now. This isn't a Friday, Saturday, what? Sunday. These yeah, are... Well, yeah. These are drink specials mm-hmm. going every single night of the week. So say you have a quote-unquote rough day, there's that option for you. And social media is showing you there's a place for you to go if you've had a rough day. And by the way, wow. this beer is only a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so mm. while I don't think that that's necessarily a part of it, I think that it makes it easier to communicate mm-hmm. that and gives you that outlet. So I can liken that to uh, pharmaceutical ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When you start watching TV and you see ads for Lyrica mm-hmm. and uh, and what that's just the one that popped into my head, you start going, yeah, maybe I have those symptoms too. Yeah, my my joints kind of ache from maybe I have rheumatoid arthritis, and then then we start just uh, self feeding onto this uh, thing that maybe didn't exist in the first place, almost like you know googling yourself or webmding your own mm-hmm. symptoms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got a cough. Now I'm dying. I'm going to yeah. die. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Another part that plays into it with social media, and I definitely, I think it plays a part. I don't think it's the whole thing, but I think it plays a part. And it's the the social media accounts like Total Frat Move or Barstool. Yeah, they they create this. They're very this sexualized pedestal. too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But that's a whole different subject as well. It, it plays in partly with this. How long but, do you guys have? I have all day. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here till 4.30, yeah. I know you're here till 4.30, and I'm paying you to be. You better write, provide good content. It it gets sort of idealized and put on a pedestal, this this drinking culture and this, uh, this like, for lack of a better term, douchebag culture. And, you know, it's it creates this part where everyone looks at that and they're like, oh, they're so cool. 
Are they really? I mean, that's yeah, really it's, yeah. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ideal. Like, I, like, being a Delta people, Bravo is glamorized. Yeah. People try to do things to get them on these accounts. Yeah. That, oh, just like, okay. like, like YouTube. Girl, I don't want to say just girls. People try to pose to get Instagram famous. People can try to drink in certain ways to get on these certain accounts because there's 10 million followers and now everyone can see what I'm doing. We had this is guy, awesome. Yeah. We had a guy that jumped off a roof onto a table and made it on TFM. And then for the week, what do you mean was we? Just, University we, of Nevada? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, we in the fraternity had a guy that oh, jumped lovely. off the roof into a table and made it onto TFM. And for a week, he was just the coolest guy ever. Except now he's and then out now of the it's house. now it's nothing. And you know, but it's just that's that's how it makes it so extreme. Is that everyone's following these? Not everyone, but yeah. a, a lot of people are following these accounts and they're idealizing the behavior that's going on there as is something that's cool and I, I personally don't think it's cool. I think it's kinda of jacked up. A lot of the yeah. posts that they post are just Well it's dangerous out there. I mean yeah, it's well, just, just straight up yeah. dangerous. And and as we know, social media doesn't there's supposed to be some sort of cap on it, you know, age fourteen or something, but we all know that's not true. And so what you're doing is you're sending into the uh, I'll go psychological here for a minute. You're sending into the psyches of children that this stuff is not only acceptable, but because it's on what is now the communication medium for everyone it's famous so i can liken that to my childhood when we'd look up at the tv and there's the the television news anchor who's just a normal person like you and me um i went to school with the, several of the, the folks who are on tv here and they're just they're buddies like <laughs> i don't look at them as as stars but that's what it was when you're a child watching someone on tv that person is now a star and it's mm -hmm. you get nervous when you get close to them and stuff so i'm i'm connecting that to now these social media accounts that have thousands and thousands of likes or retweets or follows and that becomes celebrity dumb and we want to shoot for celebrity dumb because we're driven by popularity and the need to be liked and so forth and that meets the love and belonging need for sure you're chomping i was about to say but i think that some people aim to try to be on those accounts mm -hmm. some people don't try to be and then videos and pictures are submitted of them then they're posted on these accounts for 10 million people to see and that could be something they're completely ashamed or embarrassed yep. about and now 10 million people see it and they now walk around mocked. with their head down on campus mm. they want to transfer schools or they oh, wow. the people that they thought were their friends expose them to all these people and now they're hurt their trust yeah. is gone and so i think it kind of goes both ways with there's some people that aim to do this and then there's some people that could put in this new spotlight now that didn't ask for that and now that's creating a lot of internal stress with already the campus stress and pressure of college. And yeah. now they're kind of like, how do I juggle this? I did not ask for this. So if I could distill it, it's not social media the problem. It's the social stress. It's the stress of performing, being judged. Um, I mean, back in my day, it was never appropriate. And I didn't take part in it. And I thought it was ridiculous even when I was 19. But on bid day for the sororities, fraternity guys, some fraternity guys would line up the streets and hold up rating cards, one mm -hmm. through ten, and they would rate the girls as they walked by. And it was disgusting, and I, I hated it then, and I hate it now. But what we've done is we've just taken that and sucked it into the interwebs, yeah. and you're basically doing the same thing. Look yeah. how cool this is. Look how stupid this is. And oh, by the way, by extension, the person, therefore, is cool or stupid. Mm -hmm. So we're judging the individual human yeah. being as if they have been memed now and they're no deeper than the meme and that creates psychological distress it's that's pretty serious yeah so it's a, it's a it's not social media necessarily social media is the vehicle by which this happens but it's it's the social pressures of 
Where do I fit in? What do I look like? To whom am I performing? Uh, what is my identity? Those are huge, huge topics. Absolutely. And I think you can bring that back to the emerging adulthood. Yeah. Not Please. that people not that people were one hundred percent sure of who they were back when you were in college. Uh, but no. But we are still I, I it's a further stage. I still stage don't know of, who I am. Yeah. It, it's a further stage of adolescence for me, like personally. I'm I'm going through each leadership position I take on. I can look back to my previous leadership position like president. And I can say, why would I do that? <laughs> like, why did I? Why did I go with that route? You know. Yeah. And it's such. It's not that you weren't developing during college either. It's just personally, I think that it's so much more extreme for me. Like, mm. I can look back and say, "You're in a fishbowl." What was I thinking? Yeah, and it's it's ridiculous. But this keeps happening, and that's very good. I'm very very happy for my personal experiences that I've that I've gained through college because if I didn't have those experience, this would just be happening further down the road. Right. But when is this going to level out? That's one of the things that gets me is, and you know, if, if my life goes the way that I plan it to be, I will always be learning. I will always be developing. But, but when will I stop looking back a year before and saying, Oh man, what was I thinking? You You want an answer? Is that rhetorical? No, it's, it's rhetorical. It's just, I have an answer. It's, it probably doesn't happen, but it just feels it feels so extreme. <laughs> Lauren's laughing. What's what's the answer? When do you learn that? I was going to say, I don't think that ever stops. I think it takes someone that's very aware to mm-hmm. sit back and reflect and grow from different experiences. Yeah. I mean, you can look back into childhood. I could look yeah. back into yesterday going, yeah. whoa, why did oh, I make that as decision? As an intern therapist. As yeah. a fledgling therapist, yeah. I look back and I was like, I can't believe I told those people that. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that takes a strong person to mm-hmm. do that internal reflection and make those changes and learn from those experiences. So I don't see that as necessarily a bad okay. thing that you want to stop. Mm-hmm. I think that's something you want to continue to grow from throughout your life. The, and I think college kind of starts that with the, bigger picture yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the phrase that popped into my head was non-attached. When you learn to be non-attached yeah. to it. Uh, and that doesn't mean detaching, like, oh, it doesn't matter, and you move on, and you, you're huffy about it. Non-attachment is simply acknowledging that it happened, learning from it, and then moving forward. And when you can apply those those skills from the, the mistakes or the successes from the past appropriately in the present and for the future, you've, you have grown. And any developmental theorist, anybody who studies development of anything, uh, be it sociological, spiritual, uh, psychological, physiological, biological, they'll tell you that the only way that growth happens is through disequilibrium, meaning you have mm-hmm. to get uncomfortable in order to grow. So those times when you're pushed into the uncomfortable nature of what college is doing, you're growing, and mm-hmm. that's good. What we don't want is people killing themselves. We don't want them ending up in the hospital after a weekend. You and I talked about this. Apparently, it's a regular thing now at uh, any you know dance or, or party that somebody just ends up in the hospital, and it's a, almost a, you're throwing lots to see who it's going to yeah. be. Um, and that's that's not that's not necessary. No. So I won't even judge it as appropriate or inappropriate or bad or good. It's just, it's just not necessary if we're handling the stresses of our day from day to day, you know, with with balance and non attachment. Sounds like that people are are succumbing to the pressure, which is it's very disappointing. It's scary. Another one of the the problems that could stem out of this is addiction, yeah. right? And substance abuse substance abuse tendencies for the rest of your life. And uh, while I was driving over here, I was thinking of. Another thing that doesn't get brought up as often is Adderall, mm. yep. nicotine, and caffeine. You struggle with nicotine. I'll just throw I've, you under the bus. Yeah, yeah, no, I've absolutely. So I quit. I quit chewing. Congratulations. Um, f- uh, January first this year, I Good quit job. chewing. Nice. Um, but I have. I do smoke a Juul. It's a vape pen. So 
the problem was I needed to get rid of... I By can, the way, my mind went so many different places yeah. when you said smoke a jewel. It's and smoke I was jewel. like, it's, please it's keep little, talking it's and explain pit, yeah. this. We smoke diamonds now in Yeah, college. we smoke diamonds. It's, it's very lavish. Y'all are rich. Style. Yeah. But... 2018. It's Fergie, a, uh, Fergie comes in with a glamorous song. <laughs> dating myself uh it's a vape pen with a certain amount of nicotine content um i've been chewing for five years and my gums are getting really bad so it was it was time for me to stop that which was good though too is that i'm not doing that anymore because i could generally beat the nicotine withdrawals i could make it about a month but what would get me back is at the root cause the anxiety that i that i i feel from time to time but also you know the tendency to want something in my lips so i'm glad that i've done away with that um, when I initially switched over to the jewel, it was really just nonstop and, but now I'm cutting back weight. So you're weight titrating more. yourself down. Yeah. Smaller, it's a substitute. Smaller and it's a substitute. And I'm you. definitely, definitely trying to deal with those anxiety issues at the root of the cause. Sure. But, um, we were talking about the nicotine consumption and the caffeine consumption and the Adderall consumption. And it, it doesn't get brought up as much for me personally. It doesn't get brought up in my environment because it's just normal. It's absolutely normal. Fascinating. But it's what's interesting too is that, you know, nicotine to a degree, this jewel, this whole jewel craze has blown up. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's in high schools now too. And imagine you're developing I'm your scoffing, pre- by the way, because yeah, d- 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 yeah you're gonna answer You're this developing for me. your prefrontal cortex in these yeah. these years. These mm-hmm. are crucial years for your prefrontal cortex and your brain as well. Your brain as a whole as well. So what are you doing to your brain when you're consuming that much nicotine? While your brain is developing. And I can personally say I really do think I have a shorter attention span than I could have had if I did not use nicotine throughout these years. Which of you can work on, by the way. We Absolutely. don't want to we don't yeah. want to make it like a death sentence no, for the yeah, listening audience. Like, no, I just have ADHD and it'll never yeah. go away. No, that's that's not a thing. It's you can you can sculpt that by meditative practice, mm-hmm. by learning to calm yourself, learning to improve your focus, distraction avoidance. There's there's all sorts of mindfulness. Ways you can I've yeah, been yeah. trying to use mindfulness yeah. in classes. I, I have a hard time focusing to the point where I can fall asleep too. Because I don't get as much sleep as I should just because I'm busy. But um, and hey, classes are boring, right? Classes, they're not boring. It's just some lecturers are really bad. It really, it, it takes a good lecturer to keep me involved. Not so, everybody can be Jake Wiskerson. Yeah, I've been trying to uh, trying to practice mindfulness. I find it really a good technique for me is to just handwrite notes and just try and write down everything as it is, not try to interpret it. It, it keeps me in the zone. And put my phone in my backpack too. Don't yeah. leave it on my, on my person. But at the end of the day, it, it comes back to that, that consumption. And it's so normalized. There, there are so many people that have ADHD and get prescriptions mm-hmm. for Adderall and then sell that to their friends and use it themselves. Well, people try to get diagnosed yeah. so they have Adderall so they don't have exactly. to purchase it from others. Wow. I remember coming to college, I had never heard of Adderall. And then it was like this magic pill that, hey, if you're really stressed out or you procrastinated take this you're gonna stay up you'll read an entire book you'll finish an entire notebook of this you're gonna retain it all and you'll get an a on your test and it's like huh is that true does it does it really work like that i, I mean, don't know if you guys i mean it does expose yourself I personally i've honestly in all honesty never use adderall i try not to use any substances to help me study because mm-hmm. it's twofold on the substance abuse with stress in college students because you have that escapism you have that escapism with the the alcohol and the partying but then you have the studying as well. Mm. You're also abusing. What are you telling yourself if during the most stressful or years of your life, as you know it, in college, yeah. that you cannot accomplish something without Adderall, nicotine, or caffeine? Right. It only what are gets, you telling yourself? It only gets bigger down yeah, the road. Yeah, how is yeah. that going to end that? You know, I, I don't know what that could turn into. I could throw out some potentials with some people that I know that do cocaine frequently. 
Mm-hmm. And that it that <laughs> yeah to keep it going and it's just it, it, so it's twofold. It, it not only goes into the escapism after the fact, but also during it and when you're preparing for it, you're abusing substances. Even during a test, you have to take an Adderall to take a test. How if you don't deal with that anxiety at the root of your stress, then how are you ever going to get rid of that outside of college? I just I don't see it happening for some of these people that I know. I was about to say, it's de- <laughs> um, it's definitely keeps you up, keeps you going, but I also wonder, like, the placebo effect mm. of it as well is, one of the things is, you don't eat, it doesn't make you hungry, because your mind is so focused on the right. task that you could pass 10 hours by, you're like, I haven't had a sip of water, I haven't eaten, I haven't gone up and gone to the bathroom, I haven't done anything except read this book, so then you go on this three or four day Adderall binger. You're down five to seven pounds. You physically look different. You're dragging yourself around campus. And then you sit back at the end of that three or four day binger of Adderall. Like, wow, was that worth it? But hey, it's Friday night. Let's go out drinking afterwards. So then it's like you're mixing these substances. And so it's kind of um, where is that fine line of this is enough? I need to take a step back and do this on my own. Um, I definitely think you fall into a gray area of when is this recreational and fun and when is this going to lead to addiction because the excuse is, oh, I'm in college, this is okay. Blacking out every weekend is okay because I'm in college. It's only four years. Once I graduate, that's going to stop. Well, if you're doing these things for four years, it's a habit. it doesn't stop on May 18th when you walk across the stage and get a piece of paper. And that you, that you, doesn't happen. You and I had a conversation about that because you have some friends you've been concerned about in the past who have graduated, gone on to their careers, and then don't know how to function without this cycle. And then they end up finding themselves going back and hanging out with the college kids just because that's what they know best. It's not yeah. because they choose to. It's just that they... They don't have any idea how to step into the void. And I personally attested that when I graduated. It was right after 9-11. Post-9-11 economy was horrible. There weren't any jobs. And I went from living you know, as a resident assistant in the dorm, surrounded by a bunch of kids. Um, fraternity, surrounded by a bunch of kids. And then I graduated and stepped into an apartment of my own where it was just me. It was I, I fell into a void. It was awful. I fell into a pit of depression for like 10 straight months. It was ridiculous. And you're seeing that... These these folks graduating now are in such a pattern of uh, and a habit of just stress party stress party stress party that when when they're when they're absent both those things what happens they're still struggling. Well, now I think it it starts in college. Like get through your Monday through Friday of classes, weekends party. Well, now you're working Monday through Friday at stressful mm-hmm. jobs, and now your excuse is, oh, I had a stressful work week. Let's do it. And it may actually be less stressful than Ex- the college you Yeah, did. no, absolutely. And I think, um, like, for me, I can speak on I'm, like, super busy. and working almost 80 hours a week to see my friends. Disclaimer, what, Zephyr Wellness is not working her 80 hours a week. <laughs> she has two jobs. <laughs> but it's to see my friends, I, quote, unquote, have to go out on Saturday mm-hmm. to maintain those relationships. Oh, and they're in that. Yeah, because they're in that pattern that it's like, if I want to see these people, I have to go out. And you now find that distasteful slash dysfunctional because you can't just party till two in the morning and then turn around and come to work the next day. No. And so then it kind of makes you like take a step back on those relationships and the values in those relationships. What are those connections Mm -hmm. 
that I think I only have to see you to get drunk on a Saturday night. Why can't yeah. we go to lunch on a Sunday, catch yeah. up, go on a hike, do this, do yeah. that. But I think it's, where do you break that cycle that's been engraved? Let me ask and, this. Are you, do you guys get the sense that people get judged for not drinking and yes. partying? I, I used to more than I do now. I think I, I struggled with this whole culture my first, my freshman and sophomore year. I struggled with it to the point where I had incidents that were unfortunate. Where you couldn't world. say no. Yeah. Like you'd get teased yeah, exactly. into participating. Yeah. That blows my mind but, because we had guys who didn't drink and it was okay. Mm-hmm. We were probably secretly jealous that they had the self-control mm-hmm. not to. Yeah. And I always, I always found myself um, kind of resenting the culture. But I, I hadn't really found my place, to be honest. I hadn't. Now, sure. my, my group of people, they're the people I'm going to live with next year, I am set with those friends. And I really mm-hmm. developed them my last, last semester of sophomore year. And then coming in last fall was really the semester that I started to step back from the culture. And I, I just kind of evaluated it. And I was, why am I doing this? You know, mm-hmm. why am I doing this? What is the point of going out three nights a week? I feel terrible. My body is literally in a deficit. Like yeah. my mind is in a deficit and it takes me a while to get back to normal. And I didn't like that. So this semester, me and my friends have all, we've all kind of, it, it's not unspoken because sometimes we say like, we're going to get all our stuff done. Uh, if that means we only go out one night a week, if that means we don't go out at all, it doesn't matter. Oh, you know? okay. So okay. what we've been doing now is, you know, we get our homework due the next week. Our homework that is due the next week, we get it done this week. And we were ahead of the track on school. We tell ourselves, all right, if we're going to go out this, this week, when are, where, when are we going to go out? Can what I day? hang out with your friends? Yeah, that sounds really productive. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's good. So we, we study together. Um, we, we have our leisure time together too, which is really nice because I think that's what it comes back to. Like you were saying, is like uh, Lo was saying, is that it comes back to the environment you're around. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're lucky enough to be around people that are okay with not going out, who are okay with going against the grain and not being part of that culture that goes out and blacks out, then you don't have to be a part of it. Right. But if you aren't, then, you know, we're, we're social beings. We're going to feel the stress and the anxiety of everybody else going out and you're staying at home. Right. So if you're lucky enough to find that group of people that are able to just stay in or go on a hike, that's one of my favorite things to do is go on a hike with my friends on a Sunday. I like to, you know, drink and relax. And now, because everything's toned down, though, and I'm not going out three nights a week anymore, I'm not around the blackout culture. Like, even for mm-hmm. me personally, I haven't... Which just doesn't fit. Yeah, it's just not It's not productive to my life anymore. I would, subdu- I would su- uh, substitute lucky with intent, intentional. Yeah. So, I, But that implies that the person is self-aware enough and has a, an inner strength enough mm-hmm. to be intentional about, you know, staying home while everyone else goes out and being Absolutely. okay with that. And if you're insecure... Uh, I was, I got bullied my whole life, uh, you know, and so I sought friends that maybe Mm. were, weren't the healthiest, but I had really healthy parental figures in my life who said, you don't do this. You don't do this. You don't hang out with those people. You don't engage in these activities. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go, okay, it's tempting, but it ain't that tempting. Thank, Mm -hmm. thankfully. But I, I suffered some of the same struggle, so I can identify with that, and that's awesome. I'm glad you gave that testimony because it, it shows how a, a person can evolve, right? Yeah. You, you wanted to I was going to say, I think it's definitely like setting a boundary and sticking to yeah. it. Is like in my earlier undergrad years, I was labeled the fun one. <laughs> and then as I progressed and took on internships and took on different jobs, this and that, I had to start cutting back. I tried balancing still going out three days a week and was like, same thing as Matt. I feel mm. terrible. My body can't handle this. 
How about I cut it down to one day a week? I will go out Saturday. I'm going to stick to Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what's healthy for me right now is like still going out and having that social interaction with everyone. But if you can keep that boundary there, it's a little bit healthier. But on the flip side, going back to social media, then those nights that you stay in yeah. when there's oh, all these the blackout. Now all over Snapchat, you have to watch, oh, I'm missing the biggest party yeah. of the year. Or, oh, I'm missing this. Or people are sending you videos or pictures. You should mm-hmm. be here. You should be here. You should be here. I think that takes a strong person to turn off the phone and say, yeah, I should be here in my bed because that's what my body is telling me. Yeah. I'm listening me. to my yeah. body right now. But I mean, you definitely yeah, you have guys to. Are hit... Old too. I mean, you're we super are. We're old. washed up, too, man. Too, yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> you're I, still 21. Yeah, you just turned 21. I could. Actually. I did, but I've been, you know, I've been out since long before there. The culture around here is very easy to not be 21 and still go out, you know, yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. that's part of what breeds it too. But going off of what Lo said about the the feeling of missing out, right? The feeling of seeing that FOMO. social media, yeah. <laughs> It's that's not a feeling, media. Matt. You know better than that. What is it? It's it's FOMO. It's called oh, it's a belief. It's called oh no, it's, FOMO. It's, it's called. <laughs> I know what it is. Yes. I'm just going off of what it's like the culture yeah. calls it. But yeah. anyways, I call it the Coachella effect. If Coachella you used this in the office before, if Coachella is so cool, then why do you have to Snapchat every single second of it? Why can't you be? Why present can't you for be it? present in there? Yeah. But I think these these people that go to it, and I I do it too in different facets of my life. Hey, so watch it's not, it because I it's do no go to Coachella here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got my why, ticket yesterday. So. I feel like I think that people have to. <laughs> nice catch. People have to validate how much money they spend on this festival and how cool it really is by putting every second of it on their social media and by letting people know that they are there. And it validates themselves. It validates the festival. That's that's. I my can take it a step farther. Okay. Is Instagram famous? Is yeah. that what people strive to be now? I have friends and colleagues that pay five hundred dollars for a ticket to go do photo shoots there. It's not to go have fun. It's not to go see certain people there and be with your friends. They take their professional cameras and spend. The majority of the day, posing in pictures to get as many Instagram likes Mm -hmm. as they can. And for me, I go, I love music. I grew up with that in my, like, soul. And then I see these people doing photo shoots. I know how much money they spent. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how can you justify that? And it's to be validated by society. I can get all these likes. They can see how much fun I'm having. Mm -hmm. I must be having a happy life. I must be doing good. And now all these people can see. So now I feel good. And ultimately, it all comes back to, you know, pick your poison for, to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, it's it's better that they're not blacking out. And they're going to Coachella to, you know, have that reward or celebration, whatever it may be. But it's still, like, that validation, that people seek that validation. That stems from social media. Externally. That stems from, yeah. from social media. media. Because I even do it. I consider myself a, and this may sound, you know, pretentious but i consider myself a pretty well-developed individual yep and a pretty yep, well-adapted individual <laughs> but but even i seek validation on social media like oh, i'll sure, go sure. i'll go three or four months without posting anything and i'm like oh my next picture's got to be good it's got to yeah. be a good uh, one and that's I, good you know, self-awareness so that at least yeah. you know that that's going through your head yeah yeah so i it's it's out there and it's two degrees different degrees with different people I want to take a real quick break and then come back and wrap this up because uh, we've gone really long and this is a nice bonus episode for everybody who likes to take a deep dive into stuff like this. So uh, we'll take a quick break and come right back on the Naga Notes podcast. 
All right, we're back with Matt and Lowe. Uh, it's hard for me to call you that because like, it's a nickname that your friends from college yeah. call you. And I, I only knew you as Lauren on the application, and then we, <laughs> we brought you on as this intern, and then you were like, you, you crushed it, and then we're, we needed a, a front office worker because RJ was leaving, and we're like, mm-hmm. hey, you seem really on point. Would you like to? So you've been Lauren the whole time. Yeah. You know, I hear Matt calling you Lowe, and I'm like <laughs> trying to weave it in, and I'm like, yeah, Lowe? Nah, it doesn't sound right. You're Lauren. <laughs> so um, we need to talk about solutions. Uh, we've identified the problems. We've got a, a fair, I mean, what have we done? Almost an hour's worth of conversation now, and I appreciate you guys doing this. Um, we've got a really good grasp, I think, of what 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 the problems are and where it stems. But how do we solve it? Individual psychotherapy, you know, one-on-one attention, friends connecting with other friends, and really showing people, modeling how to walk through psychological distress and identity issues and you know learning to validate and that kind of stuff is 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 wonderful but how do you solve a societal issue or or just we'll just take it back to campus how do you solve a campus issue what are some ideas what do we what do we do Uh, more podcasts obviously right right? more podcasts (laughs) from my perspective i i think there's three things um the first the first step is going to be self-awareness you got to understand first you have to understand that there is a problem right but from my from my experience i i generally can say and this isn't just like my personal experience but it is also the experience of others when you wake up from a blackout you do not feel good you feel very guilty and you tell yourself i need to stop doing that but you don't so we're all nodding the audience so can't see it, but yeah, we've all yeah. been there we're all nodding so so i from that perspective it's it's understanding that there is an issue <clears> first then okay but then it's self-awareness so it's why why am i like this why or why do I want to do this? Why do I seek to do this? Why do I find escape in this? Mm-hmm. So self-awareness and then determining the root issue. And my, my root issue, a lot of it comes back to anxiety. Mine is just personal anxiety. I can get myself caught up in routines that become so abstract, like my alarm clock routine that I told you about. I don't remember it was, that. You don't, yeah, we went to Beefy's and then yes. afterwards we talked about it. I, I can Sometimes if I have to wake up real early, I get really anxious because I've missed... Oh, you're wondering if the, yeah, 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 if the alarm will go off. Yeah. I can, We've all I done can, that, I think. I can, no, but yeah. I can set my alarm. If I'm, if I'm not mindful, I can get caught up in setting my alarm for 10 minutes. So just going back and forth. Yeah, setting, that's a problem. Setting. Yeah, and that, that's an issue. So, so but, it's determining what that is. So by the way, for, me, for, it's, for the audience, I just want to jump in because I, I, this is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, generically speaking, we define very, very generically... Anxiety is when we fixate our thoughts on something in the future that we can't do anything about because it's not here yet. And generically speaking, when we fixate our thoughts on something in the past that we can't do anything about because it's already done, that's depression. So anxiety is when we're in the future, which is true. You're worried about setting the alarm. The next morning is in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, is the alarm going to go off? That's all future stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So if, we, if we're fixated in the past, then that's uh, loosely called depression. So we want to be in the present moment. That's, mm-hmm. where, that's where we engage life. You know, If you're too busy worrying about what people are going to think of you uh, so that you hire a professional photographer at Coachella, that you miss mm-hmm. Coachella, you're in anxiety mm-hmm. and you're missing out on life in that moment. So go on. Uh, yeah. Please. So it, it comes to the point where it it gets not even about the alarm clock. It becomes this abstract thing where I'm just turning it on and off and on and off. And then I, I catch myself and I'm like, I've been setting the same time on the same alarm clock for five minutes. Like it's time for me to just say, okay, if I don't wake up, it's not the end of the world. And Something's that's non-attachment. Yeah. And that's letting go. Yeah. yeah. So that, for me, that was that was where it came from. But until I started becoming uh, more mindful and being more self-aware of why I'm doing these things, I would continue to have these problems. I would continue to have my nicotine addiction and not ever question it. It would just be a thing that I do. And 
after determining the root cause, I completely forgot. Oh, self-control. That's where it comes from. That's the hardest part is that self-control. You can define that you have a problem. You can define what that problem is and you can determine the cause of that problem. Then you got to do something about it. Then you got to do something about it. So for me, a lot of my, my self-control has been going to bed earlier, getting all my stuff done on time so I can go to bed earlier, waking up early, getting an early start to my day, going to the gym in the morning um, before any classes, attending all my classes, making sure that there, that every night that I have free, I'm not going to go out and drink. Sometimes I'm just going to hang out with my friends and watch TV. Mm-hmm. And that that's where that self-control issue. But the one part is like when you do, when you do go back to your nicotine, like I still have my crutch. I have my, my little jewel pen and I hit that. So when I hit that, I need to have Diamonds. self-control with it. Yes. I need to know that I can't just Limits. sit there with it in my hand because if I do that, I will just go through the things and I will not be improving my nicotine addiction at all. So I need to be mindful of that. And the same thing is when I drink. If I'm going to drink, I need to be very mindful and very controlling of how much I drink. Because if I don't, I could slip right, right back into my old ways. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not improving anything. So it's all about improvement and marginal, you know. Two, marginal. two, two things to tie those together. One, uh, all three of those had to do with personal accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never about an external. It wasn't about something outside needs to change or someone needs to do it for me. It was all, you took personal responsibility for that. And the second thing was that you, it all points to uh, recognition and habit development or, or breaking. So once you're in that mode of being uh, personally responsible and having the self-control, you, you do that long enough, it just becomes the way it is. And, and that's where you want it. And it becomes harder and harder to fall back into the old routines mm-hmm. because that's, you're just not in them anymore. Yeah. So I appreciate that. What are you thinking? I was going to say, I think it's a lot about listening to what yourself and your body needs and having that self-control like Matt kind of touched on. Um, At the end of the day, you can control you and what's going to make you happy and be the best for you. Um, I think listening to your body, whether that's needing rest, hanging out with friends and going to dinner, grabbing a beer, going on a hike, doing that. If you can do those in like healthy ways, that's okay. I think setting those healthy boundaries and trying to maintain them, surrounding yourself with healthy people, healthy friendships, um, maybe turning off Snapchat if you know that that's or an issue. Or deleting it all together. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like on a Saturday night, if you choose to stay in and you know that this is going to eat me away if I'm watching all of these Snapchat stories or this or that, maybe it's deleting that for a night and letting yourself... Or bare yourself... minimum, you're watching somebody else's life instead of yeah. your own. But I think that at the end of the day, it's about being present in the moment is we have so much anxiety about the future and social media to look at others that it's hard to like sit in the moment and be present with yourself. So I think if you can incorporate that more into your life, that's when those changes start happening that, hey, maybe I don't have to be on social media five hours a day. Turning hey. off stimulus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Being present, sitting there like we go, 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 whether that's five minutes in the morning to sit there and do a meditation let on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Whether that's at the end of the day. Headspace is yeah. a good free meditation app on your on your yeah. phone, by the way. Yeah, that's what I use, actually. Oh, well, there you <laughs> um, Sitting and reading in silence on your bed. Coloring one of the mindfulness coloring books. Listening to Noggin Notes. Listening to <laughs> Noggin Journaling in the, in the Noggin Notes like, app. Yeah. Coming to Zephyr Wellness. But it's, it's finding those things to bring yourself back to the present moment. Taking those deep breaths. And maybe using that at the end of the day, like, I did it. Instead of, I need to go to the U and get a million drinks because I accomplished this. It's, I did it. What is the U? Now I can relax. The union. 
<laughs> oh, that's that new bar. That's uh, yeah, the old corkscrew breakaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the new, off of that the point, new place. I thought that was a really interesting point that just kind of connected in my head was why why celebrate when you could relax? I mean, if you just think logically about how much stress and work you put yourself under in a week, why would not the logical thing be to take a time to out, to sit yep. down <laughs> and relax? You know, so I so well, and and it keeps your bank account flush. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it, absolutely. So I would I want to further one more question. All this is great, I think, and this may sound pretentious again to a well developed individual and yeah. a well adapted individual. How do you reach people that? have harder times adapting into this well that's all the time we have for this week thanks matt (laughs) from like a macro you know national societal level how can you and i i you know running through some ideas in my head definitely the one of the first steps is to destigmatize um mental health conditions well and hopefully we do that by having conversations like this where we're talking normally about our normal lives and and not making people think that they've they're compartmentalized somehow somehow because they're the only person who's ever blacked out in the world yeah Yeah. that's not true like i mean we check on our we check on our bodies you know Mm -hmm. mind and body the two the two things that connect to make you and we check on our bodies once every year at least you should be getting a yearly checkup one would hope yes one would hope why are we not at least getting a yearly checkup with a mental health physician? Well, the short you know, answer is that behavioral health reimbursement through insurance has not been very yes, good at uh, preventative that. care. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I agree. I think that people should be you know, just calling the front desk and talking to Lauren and saying, hey, I wanted to make an appointment. I don't have anything pressing. I don't have anything urgent. I just wanted to do a check-in bounce some stuff off a counselor and, and make sure that I'm on the right track. Yeah. And then we can have that conversation and see if there's anywhere in your life you need to make some changes. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, that's called an intake and we don't need a diagnosis for an intake. We will get something to send off to insurance that says, you know, adjustment disorder. Cause you're adjusting to something. You're always adjusting to something secrets out guys, by the way. Yeah. Um, so you don't need this high-level, uh, fully diagnos- diagnosable mental illness to, to bill your insurance for a tune-up. Um, that's one way of doing it. But uh, to, to answer your question in full, I think that um, to use one of my mentor's analogies, uh, Dr. Christian Conti, check him out at drchristianconti.com and check his YouTube channel out. I always like to give a plug. He says that if you're on the top of the mountain and you just see some people struggling to find the find the path and you know that they want to get to the mountain because it's pretty obvious they're they're on the mountain they're trying to walk up shouting at them from the top hey you should be up here right now it doesn't help anybody mm-hmm. you have to walk down the mountain to get there and and a lot of society these days will say well that's condescending yeah well it's it is con it's descending the mountain mm-hmm. now it's not condescending to meet people where they are and say hey would you like some help now we can't force it on them Mm-mm. And we have to honor autonomy. One of the cardinal uh, ethical precepts in our field is autonomy. Uh, allow people to make the decisions for themselves. So we have to honor autonomy. If we say, hey, it looks like you're struggling. Would you like some help? All we can do is offer. If they say yes, then great. But then we have to offer it the way that they need it, not the way we think they need it. So um, I would say you know, meet people where they are compassionately. Don't blast each other on social media. You're just an idiot because you don't think the way I do. Would you like some help? I can help you. I'm a well-adjusted individual. You're clearly not. You know, That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is one-to-one. And um, I, I think, you know, again, one-to-one communication, one-to-one connection can, can go a long way to, to solving a lot of society's ails. But... Um, we're making movement, you know, we, we, as long as we can turn off the stimulus, recognize negativity, realize what it does to us, and then not uh, dive into a bottle or a, an Adderall 
pillbox to to avoid it, I think we're we're doing okay. We should continue this afterward uh, and have another conversation because uh, whenever you and I talk or you and I talk, and I'm looking at both of you guys uh, now, the three of us, whenever we talk, good stuff comes out, and uh, it's just kind of fun to turn on a microphone and have that same conversation. So, uh, thanks again. You got to get to class. I got to get to a class. I'm actually doing a guest teaching. And um, you got to get back to the front desk because there's phones ringing and people wanting help. So, uh, thank you to the audience for bearing with us through this hour plus that we've been jammering, jabbering, ja- jabber, jabbering, jabbering, yammering, yammering, and jabbering. Mumble rap. Mumble rap. Little dad bod. <laughs> uh, that's my m- mumble rap name. Is little dad bod. Um, thanks for joining us, audience. If you want to reach out to us, if you ask questions, hit us up at noggin no- uh, info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. We'll be happy to take your questions and read them in listener mail episodes on this podcast. For the Noggin Notes team and for the Zephyr Wellness staff and for Matt and Lauren, thanks for joining us. See you back here again on the Noggin Notes podcast where we aim to enrich and educate your noggin on matters of mental wellness. Bye-bye. Thank you.